0: Today, we are in the book of Amos. Amos, uh, one of the minor prophets. We mentioned Amos a couple of weeks ago, if you were here, during our study through Hosea. Uh, last week, we talked about Joel, um, and we might reference Joel in a minute, but uh, it, two weeks ago, we talked about Hosea, and Hosea and Amos had some similarities in their writings. Uh, and so, I want to just kind of touch on those once again so that we know maybe a little bit of the difference. If you remember that study in Hosea, or if you're like me, I I mean, we are are just uh, cooking through the scripture. And I'll be just totally honest with you, as the more we've been going through the scripture, I've been looking back and thinking, man, You know, we talked about Ezekiel. It had to be like February. I was like, "No, that was just a couple weeks ago." Like we we're we're moving. Um, So I know this Bible study is a lot, and so I want to just say thank you for sticking it out with me as we continue through. But um, today, as we look at Amos, uh, a couple weeks ago we talked about Hosea, and Hosea uh, and Amos had some similarities. Both of them focused into the northern kingdom of Israel. Uh, they were prophets to primarily the northern kingdom. Uh, if you remember, northern kingdom is Israel, southern kingdom is Judah. Uh, that was after the split after King Solomon. And the southern kingdom of Judah was the one that the line of David stayed true to. And the northern kingdom, we know, was never um, uh, exactly on point. They never had, they didn't have any good kings. They're, they had some power, they had some influence. Ten tribes went to the north two tribes went to the south of the 12 tribes of Israel so um, that's kind of where we where we are. Uh, these timelines, I was asked, I know Miss Belinda had asked me to, um, to put together a great timeline thing for you. I've been building it now for about six months and cannot come up with it because it's too many pages. It's just it's so much um, because there's some overlap as we've talked about through the scriptures. Um, there's some things that are happening that we will find in the book of 2 Kings that will come out in the book of Amos, or they'll start here and we'll see it here overlap and uh, it's hard chronologically to experience it. And I think that may be a reason that the scriptures are laid out the way they are. Uh, for us to see what this uh, person of Amos, this minor prophet who, um, who is experiencing what the northern kingdom is experiencing and he's seeing into the future. Something amazing happens in the book of Amos that I, I never really realized until this survey. Again, my prayer every time I go to study through this And prepare through this. There's so much information. I wish you all could jump at my brain for just a minute and like walk around it because it is a mess in there. Uh, But there's so I I try to to gather as much information as I can and then determine and see, okay, God, what is it that we will know and see from this backed up view, right from this survey view? Um, And so. Um, as we jump into this, I think you'll see kind of some cool things in the book of Amos. Uh, maybe, you will, uh, maybe you've read through the book of Amos a hundred times. Maybe you've never read it. I, I told somebody this uh, yesterday. I said, you know, uh, when we get to heaven, I'm going to go up to Amos and I'm going to say, hey man, I loved your book, right? And as I was telling this person, I was kind of joking around with this person. And I said, are you even going to know who Amos is? And he was like, uh... No, never read it. I was like, okay, well, let's read it together. And let's know. Here's what it is. And I'm all excited about it. And I was like, man, when, when you go talk to Joel, I'm gonna be like, okay, when was it you lived? Because I had a guess, but I didn't know if I was right or not. Um, and so I, I, and I know I'm kind of nerding out a little bit, but uh, Amos has some really cool things about him. So we talked about Hosea was very, um, he was a weeping prophet type. Uh, he was, uh, his family was in, was in kind of just turmoil. He was sad. Uh, he could see almost like the tears whenever he wrote. Uh, he was focused primarily on Israel. Amos, however, uh, was not so much the weeping prophet. He was more of a thundering prophet about the righteousness of God. Like Hosea was talking about the mercies of God, Amos talking about the righteousness of God. Hosea talked about the love of God. And Amos talked about the law of God. You are breaking the law and you are breaking God's law. Hosea talked a lot about breaking God's heart, right? Those were kind of the differences. To the same like, general population, to the same group, the northern kingdom of Israel, uh, you've got these two prophets that honestly are, are, are talking about the same stuff just in different tones and different ways uh, and different time periods and a few different uh, things that will happen. And so there's a bit of a contrast there in Amos and, uh, and Hosea, not contrast in truth, but contrast in tone. Uh, and that's important for us to know. So whenever you are looking to uh, hear of the love and mercies of God, you're not going to go to the book of Amos. The book of Amos is going to tell you what happens when you break the law of God, and it is There is going to be some problems when you break the law of God. Uh, And Hosea primarily focused in on the people of Israel, whereas Amos uh, talked a lot about Gentile nations. He talks a lot about the Gentile nations. We're going to see in the first chapter, in fact, uh, just a few different Gentile nations he brings in. A few things to note about Amos the person. So, you know, I like to know who's writing it. Last week we talked about Joel we don't know much about Joel. We knew what his dad's name was, didn't know anything else. Amos, however, we know quite a bit about. Amos was a, uh, a I, I'm calling him today the simple farmer. Uh, Amos grew up in about six miles from Bethlehem uh, down in Judah. So here's something weird. Amos was born and raised in Judah near, um, uh, in a place called Tekoa, uh, and it's about six miles from Bethlehem. And he journeyed north and was a prophet to the northern kingdom. So already I'm, I'm drawing some conclusions, right? I'm thinking, um, number one, you've got this guy from the south, your, your sister kingdom, uh, coming up here to tell us northern kingdom what to do. <laughs> Nuh-uh, go back to the other side of the railroad tracks, right? You go back to the other side. Um, Judah, the, this place of Tekoa is a, uh, a very farm-rich land. Uh, in fact, even in chapter 7 of the book of Amos, it tells us that he was a cattle herder or tells us he's a shepherd as well in this book. So um, he's, he's a country boy. Amos is a country boy. He is, uh, which, and I'll tell you this much, I, I've had, um, yesterday, I took a couple of our uh, team members around to a couple of churches to see some things um, that uh, as we finish up our renovation and other building, I wanted to take some people around to see some, uh, some finished products of different churches to kind of see, learn a little bit. And as I did that, uh, it was I, I kind of traveled back through some times of places that I've worked before and places, that people that I've seen before. And, um, I, I make a joke sometimes that I, I've worked for three or four different pastors, and each of those pastors were very different. Uh, the first pastor, when I left here, the first pastor I worked for was a cowboy. When I when I sat down across his desk in his office, he's wearing a cowboy hat in his office, and I said, "What? Have you ridden your horse here?" He said, "Well, not today." I was like, "Do you ride a horse to work?" He said, "Sometimes." I'm like, "You're a straight up cowboy." And and let me tell you, cowboy boots, cowboy hat, and he was like six foot eight too. He was humongous, and he would all he had the um, he had a way about him right? He had a way about him. And his way about him was, this is right, this is wrong. That was his way. Like the, He's a simple farmer. so who he was. Um, and then the next guy we had brought in was a, a, a very uh, Old Testament prophet type guy. Here's, here's what the Lord is about to do. Here's what the Lord is about to do, right? Then I went to another guy who was um, a, a very shepherding kind of guy. You know, a shepherd kind, the kind that's going to guide you along and he's going to hold you and care for you. And so I've seen these different types of men in my life that are, that are spiritual leaders. Um, By far, the one that was the most, um, I will say, uh, not harsh, but uh, the one that was most convicted may have been that, that cowboy. It may have been that one that was like, well, this is right. This is wrong. You can, and he, he, when my first, uh, after they hired me, and first as he was sitting across the table from me he said all right which kind of horse are you and i was like i, I don't know i really don't have any idea and he's like you the kind of horse i got a spur on or you the kind I got got to pull back on the bridle and i was like i'm which i don't know you tell me right i like i have no idea and he's like there's only two kinds of horse in the world and i was like okay I'm the good one. Let's just say that, right? He's like, he's like, neither one are good. They both have to be controlled differently. And I'm like, you're going to have to help me out here, man. This is, and here was the thing. He was talking a foreign language to me, right? Amos comes up from this country time where he was a herder of cattle, a farmer, a shepherd, a guy who was uh, not, and he's called to go to some urban cities and tell them things of God. Now, if a, if a guy comes in here from um, some, you know, we're, I feel like we're a little bit in the country out here, right? Some guy comes in here from a big city, he's downtown New York, real estate, Wall Street, whatever whatever of that world, and comes in here and tries to tell us something, you know what? Some of us are going to say, uh, not having it, you know, bring us, bring us the cowboy you talked about. We like that guy. Is he available to come be our, our pastor, right? That's more the, our speed. So Amos, we already know, he's going up to the northern kingdom, and he's a guy that doesn't belong in the northern kingdom. He belongs down south, where uh, where, God's country, as we would say uh, here, around here. Um, so we know this. Uh, he, he, he goes up to these places, so he's coming from the southern kingdom, he goes up to the northern kingdom, where they are skilled, they are educated, learned uh, people of the cities. Of Israel. And so Amos, in his writings, you can hear the farm talk in his, in his voice. You can hear it as he writes. Um, and, and one of the things I love about Amos is he's a straight shooter. He's going to tell you exactly what it is, and he's going to say it with, with he's going to drive home his point with some descriptive language. And the way he does it is awesome and incredible. So let's jump in to the book of Amos. Uh, pretty short, just seven chapters today. Should be out of here in the next three hours. <laughs> um, Amos chapter one, he is jumping right in. Uh, this is where he begins. Um, and how, how does a guy gain favor with people? So you can gain favor with people a couple of ways. One, you can try to appeal to the things that, they, that people like, right? I could come in here and know that if you're a fisherman I'm going to try to appeal to your fishing skill set, right? Um, or we can. Now I'm not a fisherman, so it's kind of hard for me. I, I get the the process. Uh, I've done it before, and it's uh, it's extremely I don't know boring to me. But uh, I don't want to just sit there on a boat with a you know hoping to catch some animal that I'm just going to let out. I don't know what. I'm not sure the point of it. And somebody would tell me I don't understand the point of hitting a little white ball and going and chasing it, and then coming back and after you found it. Like, what's the point, right? Um, we can either appeal to what we like, or we can do what Amos did when he begins his writing. Amos went, was against everything those people were against. It would be easy for me to find out what you hate and hate it with you, right? It would be, it'd be easy. You, you could be like, man, I hate uh, taxes. And then I could be like, let me tell you how bad I hate taxes. And then you're like, oh, well, I hate taxes worse. It's like, you know what they spend that money on? Yeah, I do. We, so we hate, we have this, a common enemy, right? Um, I'm not saying taxes are our enemy, but uh, feels like it sometimes. But as we, as we grow together, uh, you can either align with someone and, and gain their favor that way, or you can show I'm against the same thing you're against. So Amos's book starts out, with um, massive shots toward the neighboring countries and counties and, and and peoples of Israel, so he comes in and talks about the people that Israel already doesn't like. So it's their enemies. So his first uh, his first chapter is just littered with all of these uh, just I, I call them ink missiles is what I call them. Uh, you would love for. Uh, for me to come in and say, whoever is an enemy of New Providence, let me tell you what's about to happen to them. And you're going to be like, that's right, that's going to happen to them. Yes, we're on board. We're ready. Well, as if you keep reading chapter 2, he kind of gets closer and closer with the uh, with the, the ink missiles, and they start to attack Israel. And it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. So this country boy comes in. He's gaining some favor by explaining what's going to happen to the neighboring countries around Israel, those people that hate Israel. So I want to walk through those uh, for just a minute in chapter 1, kind of give you a little bit of his um, descriptive language, and then we're going to move through uh, the book of Amos pretty quickly. Uh, so the first one he talks about is Damascus. Damascus is the, um, the people, the, the Syrian people, uh, in the first chapter, verses 3-3, Through five, just those first three verses, and in in those uh, three verses there, Um, and the way he explains those, he says that uh, in especially in chapter in verse number three of chapter one, uh, the end of that end of that verse says uh, they have threshed Gilead with threshing sledges of iron. That's the first clue that he's a farmer. A threshing uh, uh, sledge of iron is a tool that they would have used. They would have put behind mules or donkeys um, as they would go through corn and they would go through and harvest wheat or grain. And as they would do that, this threshing sledge of iron had two purposes. One, to thresh the wheat, okay, so to gather grain. But the second piece of that piece of equipment was also to chop up finely the the remains. So it would chop up the stalks or whatever was left behind. And so after a threshing sledge of iron would be dragged, drugged through a field, by the time it was over with, the field was all chopped up and broken. And so the people of Damascus would be, that, that symbolizes to us and lets us see, that's the way they, the people of Damascus, hated Israel. Whenever they would go to battle against them, they would try to just plow through everything. They would knock everything down. They didn't want anything standing whenever they were done. And so the, because of that, these first few judgments on the people, the Gentile nations around, show us something pretty amazing. Uh, but the, the thing I want you to see uh, in verse number 3, the very first part of that verse, he calls out Damascus, and he says, "...for three transgressions of Damascus, and for four." That phrase for three transgressions transgressions, or for four um, is is listed multiple times in this chapter. The reason it's important is because that shows us that what the judgment's coming and the judgment will be full. It means there's not going to be any halfway judgment here. God's about to judge these people and it's a full judgment. There is no question God is holy and His holiness is cannot allow any impurities within him. So, God's judgment is full here. So, when they say that, you'll see it in verse number 3. You'll see it in verse number 6, whenever he talks about uh, Gaza. You'll see it in verse number 9, when it talks about Tyre. They'll see it in verse number 11, And it talks about Edom. For three transgressions, or four, or three transgressions, or for four, uh, of the Ammonites. You'll see that phrase over and over and over again. This is... Uh, Amos saying God's about to pour judgment on these people and it's a full judgment. So they're not, nobody's getting out of his judgment. Nobody's getting away from it. So he talks about that first group talking about Damascus. Uh, he gives that piece of information that um, the, the Syrians have invaded. And just before this, by the way, about 50 years before Amos, one of the things to note when Amos talks about the judgment that's coming on the people Uh, Fifty years before Amos showed up, the Syrians, or the people of Damascus, and just over Damascus, uh, those people, fifty years before, had come in and just done a massive massacre of the population, which is like that that sledge of iron that would come through, right? They would try to wipe out everybody. They didn't want anybody to be standing. And so what God reminds them of is that God's had enough. He will not forget what they did and His judgment's coming. He will right the wrong. That's what God will do in Damascus. So then the second group he talks about is Gaza. This is the Philistines uh, in, chapter, in verses 6 through 8. Uh, they were known for sweeping in, and when they would destroy Israel, they would, uh, they would take the Israelites, as many as they could, and they would sell them into slavery for a financial gain. That's what the Philistines would do. Or they would put them into slavery. So the way they would take over, the way they would do that, is that they would just take that and say, they would say, here's the people, so we're going to uh, sell them into slavery. Uh, That was the, the people of Gaza. And this scripture says that God will not forget them, and God did not forget, and his justice will roll on. And then he goes on into Tire uh, that tire word uh, that that people um, they had been in this in verses nine and ten of chapter one uh, that group had been in good standing with Israel for about two hundred years or a little over two hundred years which is kind of interesting like why this group would turn on Israel but this group uh, was they got really greedy and they wanted a gain they wanted to profit from. The people of Israel. So they did the same thing, very similar things the Philistines did. They would sell Israel out into slavery uh, for financial gain. And um, any time that the Jewish people would come into the hands of Tyre, they would sell them off. And so uh, now they they weren't as as uh, um, abrasive and as fighting as the Philistines were, but they were more I want whatever whoever I get, I'm going to sell off so that I, I gain financially. And this and this text tells us that Amos reminds us God did not forget that and his justice will roll on. That's who God is. He will do what only he can do. And so that's the people of Tyre. Now the people of Edom, verses 11 and 12, and this is, again, Amos is starting to get on a roll now. Right? If you can imagine, put ourselves there, if you can imagine Amos showing up to the northern kingdom in Israel and starting to put on these judgments to everybody else around, the people of Israel are like, that's right. That's right. He, he starts to name a different people group. He says, you know the people of Edom? And they're like, yeah, what are they getting? Let's go. I like this country boy. You can almost hear. If there's a, if there's a newspaper outlet in, in uh, Israel, you know, the Israeli Times of, you know, 500 B.C., this, this, they're, they're going to hear, man, hey, you heard what that country boy's saying? That kid from, uh, from Tekoa, he's, he's shown up. Man, he's calling out the nations around us. Man, get him on the front page of the times. We are in, we are moving, this is good. So he talks about Edom. Edom is a little bit of of an interesting one because Edom, if you remember in the book of Deuteronomy, uh, Jacob and Esau are twins. And so there is some things that God tells Jacob and the nation of Israel that would, uh, Jacob, you know, turns into Israel and his descendants, are uh, the nation of Israel? Edom uh, is coming from the group of Esau, and they are. Um, God specifically says, Edom, because of because they're twins. Edom is going to have a certain inheritance. Okay, so Edom is not going to be completely. So Israel should not come up against Edom. They shouldn't do that. But Edom, we know, uh, has a couple of issues anyway. They hated the Israelites. They hated. There was some jealousy there. They hated Israel um, and. The, the thing about that group in, in the book of Deuteronomy, whenever God says that um, you can't go and take anything from Edom, He also says, you have to allow Edom, if they want to worship me, you can't keep them out. So they could keep other nations out, but Edom had a little special place carved in the heart of God. And so He says, you know, you've got to allow them in. If they want to choose to worship me, they can. And we're going to allow them in, uh, even into the Jewish, uh, the, the Israelite worship services. So a little bit of a special, unique bond there. So that's almost, we're almost getting a little bit closer now, right? So you've got these people that hated Israel that would come up and fight them. Then these people that God says, this group of Edom, uh, they are getting a judgment too. Uh, they are, uh, they they're not doing well. Um, and they hated it. Edom hated Israel. Um, uh, and the Lord didn't forget it. And guess what? His justice will roll on. Um, so talks about Edom there in verses 11 and 12. Now, again, in that, in that, In those two verses, you don't see all that full history. You got to go back to what God was saying to the people of Edom and Israel uh, back in the Old Testament earlier. Um, And then verses thirteen through fifteen, it talk about Ammon, uh, the Ammonites. The Ammonites are a uh, a bad people. I mean, this is a bad group. Uh, Ammonites served a god named Moloch. You've heard us talk about Moloch some in the Old Testament. Oh, Moloch was a God who accepted child sacrifices. So, now when we say that, I want to say, as I was uh, looking back over my notes last night uh, through this text, um, this this started to really bother me because we talk about child sacrifices in the Bible, right? We talk about, oh, Moloch would accept child sacrifices. And we're like, okay, what else? It's like, well, let's stop and think about that for a minute. What this angry, uh, evil, false God was... Uh, what the enemy was doing was having people take a baby that was just born, and they would take this baby, innocent, you know, born into sin, but this this innocence of this baby, um, and they would take it to this sacrificial fire spot, and they would give this baby over and kill this baby to appease this God. And they they would do this over and over and over again, and this hunger of this fiery false god was never satisfied. It just kept on and kept on and kept on. That is evil. I mean, there is so much evil in this, and the Ammonites had a, had a habit of going back to this type of religion, They would go back to this over and over and over again. And it's like, listen, if it didn't work the first time or the second time or the third time or the hundredth time, why are we still doing this? Why is nobody standing up and saying, we need to stop doing this? This is wrong. I cannot imagine as a father, I could not imagine giving up a, a child that's born into my family. And and I especially couldn't imagine it as a mother who gave birth to that child, saying, this is the right thing to do to give my baby over to this false God and watch this baby just die. I cannot put in my head. And God is now bringing down vengeance on these people and this uh, sin. And here's what's wild. They did this so that ultimately... And and this is where it's it's so frustrating whenever people don't understand what's happening in the Middle East and what's been happening for years, because ultimately the reason that all these false gods, all these things were happening, all these people were flexing this, this muscle and authority using whatever religious terminology they wanted to use to seize more land. That was it. They wanted the property, they wanted the land, so they would even trade out babies for property and saying we will take all of this, uh, it, it, it was all in the sense of against the nation of Israel and wanting their land. And I'll tell you this, in verses 13 through 15, uh, what you see, there is, some, there is some fire that comes out. Um, and I love verse, verse 14 and 15, but uh, it, as it talks, he will devour their strongholds with shouting on the day of battle, with tempest in the day of the whirlwind. God is raging out judgment on this people because here's the deal. God does not forget what people do to his people. He does not forget what the enemy is trying to do. He doesn't forget and his justice will roll on. After the Ammonites, he talks about Moab. Now, Moab, this one's a little bit interesting. In chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, we see um, the transgressions of Moab. But here's what's weird to me. Uh, This one stands out. I I told you I'm a little odd, and when I read the Scripture, sometimes I'll go back and read it again and say, What did I just read? And then sometimes I'll read it again and again, and my brain can't quite compute it. Because this this one's odd. Listen to what happens in chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, specifically in verse number 1. It says, Thus says the Lord for three transgressions of Moab and for four, as he says whenever he's about to pour judgment out, um, this is going to be a full judgment, right? This is not halfway doing it. I will not revoke the punishment because he burned to lime the bones of the king of Edom. So the punishment for the Moab Moabites was because of what they did to the mistreating of the king of Edom, which is not Israel, right? But Here's what he's saying. The king of Edom was mistreated. It was so bad. If you read back into um, uh, the book of 2 Kings, uh, this is where he's referring to the king of Edom had, uh, had, been, had, been, had died, and the king of Moab went in and took the body of that king and was so angry, so angry that he took that body and he burned the body up. He wasn't he wasn't the one that killed him. The, the, he, he, he died a different way. And they he mistreated this body of this person. And God said and it, it ultimately boiled back to they sided with Israel, they sided with the God's people, and this king of Moab was so angry, the Moabites were so angry that they were willing to um, to destroy the body of even the dead and not allow any type of, of um. Proper uh, etiquette in any of that, and God's saying, "And I remember it, and my justice will roll on." You're not going to get—you're not going to get around what I'm doing. Uh, this level of hatred uh, to anybody associated with God's people will go on to be punished. It will not stand. So that's the first uh, section where Amos is going in and explaining to the Northern Kingdom what all is of, of all the nations surrounding them. Then there's a shift. Now he actually talks about Judah, the southern kingdom. Now, we're getting a little closer to home, right? This is our, this is our sister, sister nation. Uh, Amos, what are you talking about here? So he goes on in verses 4 and 5 and says, For thus says the Lord, three transgressions of Judah, and for four, I will not revoke the punishment. They rejected the law of the Lord. So if you go back and we read... And, and, and I encourage you to go and read this today or this week or something. If you read chapter 1 again and look at for three transgressions of blank or for four, so uh, of whatever whatever Gentile nation, it will give a reason why punishment is coming. Every one of those in chapter 1. And it, the reason, sometimes it will be because they burned the bones of the king of Edom. Sometimes it would be uh, because of the way that they would come through Gilead and the people of Israel and... And destroy them when they would do it when they would come in like fire and destroy the people when the when the nations attacked God's people God punishes them for it now he turns to God's people he talks about Judah the people of God why does he punish the people of God because the people of God didn't follow the law of God so the people of the world didn't respect and honor the people of God and the people of God weren't listening to the law and so they deserved punishment as well. Um, and as, as uh, at verse number four, listen to the way verse number four says. He says, uh, for the people of Judah, they've rejected the law of the Lord and have not kept his statutes. But listen to the rest of this. But their lies have led them astray, those after which their fathers walked. You know what he's saying? You've, been, you, you've followed after your own lies and not listened to me. And God says, so I'm punishing you for it. So my people who are called by my name, who didn't listen to me, deserve as much punishment as those who are against my people. So understand, like we, there's no getting out of God's judgment. Only the sacrificial blood of the lamb will get us out of God's judgment because his judgment is then poured out on the sins of the world through Jesus. But today, in this moment, when Amos is talking, he now brings us to Judah. Now, here's the problem. There's some struggle between Judah and Israel, right? So between the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, all of which are still God's people, okay? But there's some struggle. So the people of the north probably not too mad about this, probably saying, that's right. We're better than them. They, we know it. They do deserve to be beat up a little bit. So about this time, Amos begins on his role. And he then lays into Israel, the people he's there for. And here's what he says in the next, from verses 6 all the way through verse 16, through the end of chapter 2. Uh, I'm not going to read all this, but I'll, I'll tell you what he talked about. He talked about the exploitation of the poor. He talks about the perversion of justice. He talks about immorality happening within Israel. He talks about not listening. This is what's crazy. He talks about not listening to the testimony of the godly people. In other words, he says, you didn't listen when God sent a man here to tell you what was right. You didn't listen. Not only did you not listen to him, you actually tried to find ways around what he did And you tried to, um, in any way, you tried to undermine what he said. And he, he said, now we don't have to go too far back into the prophets to see people that were trying to undermine what the prophets were saying, right? And he says, that's why God's judgment's coming on you. Not only... Were you uh, perverting all of the justice that was that God gave you? not only were you exploiting the poor and getting more wealthy here 's what i can 't imagine when Amos is traveling up to the northern kingdom before his ministry starts. I want you to picture, by this point, uh, Jeroboam II was the king in charge of of, of Israel. And uh, Jeroboam II, we know his, they, they were, Israel was flourishing the most under his rule. They had the most power, the most flex, the most authority, and it had, it had grown into kind of a powerhouse. And we saw wealth, and what happened is the middle class disappeared. In this, in this season. So, which is, let's, let's let history repeat itself, okay? Because what was happening was the rich were getting richer while the poor were getting poorer. And so Amos walking around, and here's what's happening. And, and I can't, it's hard for me to explain this. If, if you've not been, I know we've got pastors in the room. I know we've got people that have been in ministry before. And here's what will happen. We get in the Word. Okay, I'm, I'm going to tell you how God speaks to me. I get in the Word, I read the Word, and the Word begins to resonate in my heart and in my life. And as I'm walking around, I see the words start to pop up places. I see it, and it's like, this is exactly what God was saying right here in front of me. I'm watching it. As Amos, I'm picturing Amos, a prophet of God, walking up to the northern kingdom. And as he does, this simple farmer, he's not highly educated. Listen, I can relate to that. I can relate to, to not being smart. I mean, he's just, he's just a simple guy. I'm a simple guy. I try my best to learn everything I can learn. Why? Because I don't know enough. That's why. I'm not, I don't walk into a room thinking I'm the smartest. I walk into the room thinking, I'm the dumbest person in here. I can learn from everybody. Amos walks through as he's going up in the northern kingdom, and I'm imagining he's hearing in his heart, something's not right here. Something's not right here. And then he sees the wealthy building a bigger house next to the poor that can't eat. And what's happening is the wealthy is going to the poor and saying, hey, I'll give you a quarter to go get, my, go get this and this and this and this. And they go get all that stuff and take care. And then the poor gets poorer because the wealthy are they're exploiting the fact that they, they'll do it for a quarter. When you should pay them a dollar, right? You should pay them ten. Rather, you're going to pay them the least amount you can pay. He's, he sees that happening in Israel. So he calls them out on it. He's like, there's exploitation of the poor. There's a perversion of justice because you're taking favorites, you're picking favorites to go to trial, and those trial is being the, the law is being redefined so that person that's paying you off politically can get can run away and be okay and be set free, and it has nothing to do with justice. So Amos Simple guy, simple farmer. I'll tell you this: we need more simple farmers around to walk up and give us some of that simple wisdom. Like that's what we need. I've told the story before. I know my dad's told the story before with my grandfather. Sometimes him just the I go and just hang out with the guy, and I listen to what he says. And he because he says some of the wisest stuff. And he and how does he say it? You know, he's like, well, this uh, you know, a man wants things to work, a woman wants things to be pretty. And I'm like, okay, what do I do with that? And he's like, I don't know. I'll let you know when I find out. And I'm like, you're 85, Paul, what, you what do you mean? He's like, he's like, just telling you, that's a fact of life. Sure enough, that's exactly the way me and my wife work. I want something just to work and function. She wants it to look pretty. And so she wants it to make sure. He talks about his barn. You know, his barn went up in flames a couple months ago. He's got a new barn built now. Uh, and he, he's got this new barn. And he said, he said, I can't seem to get anything done. I'm like, why not? And he's like, because, you know, got to run it by mama to make sure it all looks pretty. He's like, I don't want it to look pretty. Oh, it's a barn. I want to put a tractor in there. That's what I'm going to have. And he just has this simple wisdom about him and how to make decisions, how to make calls. Amos is a simple guy that would walk around and say, well, this, these two things don't make sense. This, this isn't right. Who decided this was right? Oh, the perverted government system that said this was right. Why are we listening to that? That's not how this works. Amos is walking around seeing it. Now he's calling it out. As he calls it out, he goes on and on and on, and saying this is what's not. This is what's not okay. He's rolling and rolling and rolling. Now chapters three through chapter six. This is where we're going to kind of we're going to hit the gas a little bit. Chapters three through chapter six, uh, he begins to roll. Out some messages. He preaches three sermons here in these next uh, four chapters. Uh, These three sermons, I'm just going to summarize them for you. You can go and read them and kind of see. But as we jump through this this survey of the scripture today, uh, this first he preaches three sermons. The first one dealt primarily with Israel's guilt right then, at that moment, what they were guilty of then. Which again, we just kind of touched into, right? This is what's happening in Israel and your guilt, what you've done wrong. Right now, this is what's happening. Then he goes into uh, the second sermon. The second sermon is primarily on uh, the sins that Israel kept repeating from from the past. So from what their fathers walked in, right? The lies that they believed from the past. So the sins that they repeatedly committed in the past. Then he goes into this third sermon uh, where he talks about Israel's judgment that's going to come. And so he deals with the present first, then he deals with the past, and then he deals with the future. That's what Amos does here with the people of Israel. He says, here's, what we, here's the problems right now. So we got no excuses, right? Here's the problems right now. Then he says, and here's the problems we've been dealing with. Here's the problems you have had in the past. And then he says, because of what's going on now, because of what's happened in the past, here's what's coming to us. Here's what we're going to have to deal with. Now, this is a pretty good sermon series layout, right? If I were to say, um, hey, here's our problem today. Because here's the thing. We always want to know what's wrong today, right? What, how do we fix today? we got a problem today. What do we need to do today? Then we, then we go back and we start thinking, well, how did we get here, right? That's always the question. I've got, I got a surmounting debt I can't pay off. Well, this is what I'm dealing with today. Okay, what got us here? Well, I don't, I don't know inflation. <laughs> we'll blame whatever we can blame. It's like, well, no, it's because we spent more than we made. That's what happened. Like that, you can't, I, you can't convince me otherwise. Like you spent more money than you had. And then therefore you're in debt. That's, that's a simple farmer coming out in me, right? That's, that's one of the wisdom pieces of my grandfather. Don't spend more money than you make. Okay. And it's like, well, that makes sense. Then you go out and you're like, Ooh, I can, I can finance this. Okay, cool. I needed to finance a new cool uh, coffee grinder. You know, that's what I really needed. You don't need to finance a coffee. You can't buy the coffee grinder. Don't buy the coffee grinder. Um, You know, so he says, here's what we're dealing with right now. Here's the sins that we've repeated in the past. And because of that, here's what's coming in the future. So he talks about that. The future one, by the way, talks about this plague. I want to just like kind of give you a little bit of this. He talks about a plague that's coming uh, in chapter number six as he's going through this. Uh, I want to read just a verse or two with you. Um, Let's see, verse number uh, chapter six of Amos, verse nine. We'll go to verse number nine. Okay, so there is a a plague that happens. Listen to the way he explains this. Now this is a farmer boy that's explaining something, and he's just driving home. I mean, he's just he's plowing dirt right now, right? And dirt, a plow breaks through dirt the way this uh, this prophecy breaks through. This is what it says. Uh, it says, And if ten men remain in one house, they shall die. Now he's talking about a plague. And one, when one's relative, the one who anoints him for burial, shall take him and bring up the bones out of the house, and shall say to him who is in the innermost parts of the house, Is there still anyone with you? He shall say, No. And he shall say, silence, we must not mention the name of the Lord. Now, let me explain this to you because we read it and we just kind of read over it um, and we don't think about what it says. What he's saying is, so there's 10 people in the house. Everybody dies. And then a, a distant cousin comes over to take care of the burial stuff. OK, so he's going in to take care of the bodies. And so he's in charge of the funeral. And um, the, uh, so he's got to get the, the, the body burner, right? The body, the, the, the person that will, that will um, uh, actually complete the, the funeral exercises and, and the proper uh, burial for the bodies. So you've got the distant relative in there, in the house, and the guy coming to, to take care of the bodies, he comes in and he, he stands at the edge of the door and he's, he yells into the house, hey, anybody else in there? And the guy from the inside of the house says, no, I'm the only one alive. And then eventually, as soon as he says, no, I'm the only one here, he says, but quiet, don't mention the name of the Lord. I want you to think about this for one second. You walk into a house that a plague has hit. Everybody is dead. Dead bodies all over the floor. You're more afraid of the name of the Lord than you are the plague that just struck your entire family. Like there is a serious power in the name of talk about a judgment call like a judgment that that Amos is talking about I, I don't know of a more horrifying picture than walking into a house where all of my distant relatives are dead and being so afraid of the name of the lord at that moment that the plague isn't even the, the first thing on my mind just lost the whole family and amos says that's the 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 power of the judgment that's coming. That's what it is. Fearing the most sacred name of all, the most scared he could say, don't mention the name of the Lord. Um, that's some power. That's a powerful altar call, right? So if that's my, my wrapping up to my sermon Sunday. Uh, the altar better be full, right? The name of the Lord is is, should be feared, should be should be in awe. We need to be careful with the name of the Lord that we throw around like doesn't matter. We throw around like it's, like it's change in our pocket, and yet it is more dangerous, that name, because of its power than any other name. And by the way, there's also no other name on earth in which that can connect us to God. There's no other name that anybody can get saved under none. It is the only name. There is power in this name. So Amos drives that point home with that uh, very vivid, uh, grotesque uh, sermon illustration there. Um, as uh, and then it goes on in verse number chapter number seven, chapter seven. Uh, he turns from sermons to now visions, uh, and so he gives us some visions. He talks first about uh, locusts. We just talked about locusts last week in Joel. Uh, locusts are bad, bad creatures. They'll come in and just, they devour everything. After the locust uh, uh, vision that he has, he sees fire. Um, fire, that's uh, locust and fire. Both of these prophesying to the Assyrians coming to uh, eventually take over Israel. Uh, we know because we have the whole book and we have history to see that uh, the Assyrians came in and did devour uh, Israel the way that that Happens, But listen to verse number five. This is uh, um, what has been shaking me. So in the middle of this vision, verses four and five, this is what the Lord God showed me. Behold, the Lord was calling for a judgment by fire and it devoured the great deep and was eating up the land. Then I said, O Lord God, please cease. How can Jacob stand? He is so small. The Lord relented concerning this. This also shall not be said, the Lord God. Now, if we just read that, and if you're just reading your Bible devotionally, you read it, you go on, you read the whole chapter, you take, you don't really dive into any verses. Um, I know for this survey, I know we've been trying to stay uh, 30,000 feet, kind of looking at it from from a distance. But um, verse five, if you are reading this, here's here's what happens um, when intercessory prayer takes over. So. God is telling Amos, this fire is coming to devour the land of Israel. It is over. And Amos, this is why I know Amos was a, uh, was a good guy. He's, he's a farmer, country boy, um, nice, kind, uh, and, and just... what He is so now, uh, in this vision, he sees the people being devoured, and he stops and prays. Now, this is a future prophecy... Okay now, well, this is where this is what this is what blew my mind. Here it is, ready okay, so he is, he is hearing about what 's happening in the future, and in that vision he 's so overwhelmed, and he begs God, please don 't let this happen, please don 't let this happen he 's praying so hard as if this is so true, and he 's putting everything into it and I want to tell you something that happened in history, so if you read throughout the book of the Kings and the Chronicles and all the, the battles that take place, and if you overlap it all, there is a moment in Israel. Uh, I wrote this down because it, it blew my mind. Fifty years after this prayer took place, fifty years, you can go do some research on it. I, got, I can, I, uh, it's, um, uh, Tiglath-Pilser, uh, uh, the, the nation, was coming in. They had destroyed Damascus, they had destroyed, laid waste to um, a, a large portion of Israel, carried off all the Syrians, carried off all of the, 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 the pain and the problem. They were coming in like a devouring fire. And do you know there is a place where there was a, um, a government-issued uh, change in power, and when it happened, those people of Tiglath-Pilser, uh, uh, they were coming in and they withdrew. Fifty years later, it made no sense why they withdrew. No one understood why they stopped. They had just devoured everybody in their process. Here's what I think. I'm getting chills thinking about it. (laughs) This This is the power of intercessory prayer. I believe that as that was going on, 50 years after this prayer was prayed, God remembered the prayer and said, my people who have been called by my name have humbled themselves, prayed that I would heal their land, and he's going to heal their land. Now, eventually, utterly, after this, it says that they. Um, uh, this is what the Lord showed me. Behold, the Lord was standing beside a wall built there. Eventually, it was going to happen, but there was a reprieve for a moment. And I'll tell you something: whenever there's a reprieve for a moment, and we don't thank the Lord that somebody's praying at any point in history. By the way, God exists outside of time. And as, he's, as as this destruction is happening, can you, can, you see, can you see, I see this in like five dimensions. It's all in my brain. I wish I could just like show you what's in my brain right now, like on a screen. Because I see this in so many, like you've got Amos here who has talked about the past. He's talking about what's going on right now. He's talking about the future. And as he's talking about the future in this moment, he sees what's happening 50 years down the road. He doesn't know it's 50 years down the road. He doesn't know if it's 50 minutes down the road. He's just hearing and seeing it, knows it to be true, begs God to stop. He sees this devouring fire and he says, God, please stop it. And the fire stops. Now, we don't see it happen until 50 years later. The The devouring fire is going and it stops. Can you imagine the people right on the other side of this fire? Oh, thank you, Lord, for stopping that. He's like, you don't need to thank me. You need to thank Amos 50 years ago because he saw it coming. He prayed that I would stop it, and I stopped it. Now, at some point, the fire then did release, and it kept going. But there's a moment of reprieve, and that moment of reprieve is due to intercessory prayer. I'm preaching on intercessory prayer this Sunday, by the way, and the Lord is, is like throwing all kinds of stuff in my brain. It's been, it's been good. Uh, good luck. Pack a lunch Sunday. You're going to need it. Um, so, uh, in, uh, in, in verses 7 through 9 of chapter 7, God stops Amos in his prayers. It's time. Here we go. We've got to keep moving. Um, judgment will be coming on uh, on Israel. And he also says in there that um, uh, he gives a, a little bit of a, a help for us to, to see and understand that um, Jeroboam the second will die. In verse number 9, it says that he will die by a sword. He does end up dying by a sword. We know that. Uh, within that generation, not too much longer. Um, so, calls that. Verses 10 through 17, as we, as we roll through the end of chapter 7, uh, it, there's this guy that shows up. Uh, he's a false prophet, so his name is uh, Amaziah, and Amaziah is a uh, priest of Bethel. Now, this priest, we know, is a false priest set up under the wrong uh, the people, kind of a wrong religious system. He goes to Amos, and here's what he says. He says, Amos says that uh, Jeroboam's going to die by the sword. So this priest says, oh, nuh-uh. So he goes and runs and tattles on Amos. And he he goes to Jeroboam, and he says, King, Amos says, you're about to die by the sword. Jeroboam doesn't even respond. He's like, okay, like, whatever. So Amaziah goes back to Amos, and he says, you need to read this part. This is so cool. Go read it uh, later. And he he says, hey, Amos... Uh, you better pack up your bags and go. Stuff's going to happen to you, man. It's going to get ugly. And Amos is looking at this guy, and he's like, I'm with, now, if I, here's, here's what I've learned about cowboys, about country folk. You don't, <coughs> you don't go picking a fight with a, with a six foot eight cowboy. Okay, I'll just tell you, my la, with that pastor I had, I would never walk up to him and be like, you better watch yourself, big boy, when you say something. I ain't doing it. Like, I'm not doing it. He was farm strong. We, that's a phrase, right? Farmstrong. Amos looks at this guy, Amaziah, and he says, The Lord spoke to me. I don't know who you think you are. And so then he pours out a judgment on this guy and his family. And what happens? We read not too much longer that guy and his family. They, they all experienced the suffering and the death that he said they were going to. He calls it out on him because Amos is like, I'm talking to God here, not to man. I'm not talking to just some king in a position on this earth. I'm talking to the king of all kings, the lord of all lords, and I'm telling you what he's telling me. You can buy it or not, you can take it or not, but it's happening. It's truth, and here's here's how much I'll show you it's truth, you false prophet, you false priest. I will tell you this is how you're going to die. Your wife's going to be a prostitute. This is going to happen. Your sons are going to experience this. This is going to happen to you, and it happens. At this point, Amos is like... You don't mess with God's anointed here. Like, you just don't. Do, don't go run around trying to uh, disregard and try to undermine. Because, see, what happened is Amos talked about, right, in the couple of chapters earlier, how Israel tried to undermine the men that God called, right? We talked about that in chapter 3. He says, The judgment's coming because you've undermined all of God's men that have shown up here. And now, this priest guy of this false, of this false religious system tries to undermine what this prophet is doing. And he's like, I thought I've already said this before. You, you've undermined prophets before. If you undermine them again, it's not on the prophet, it's on you. You're going to experience more judgment. Man, it gets so good. It's just so much fun. Uh, it's, uh, it, I encourage you to read it. Don't mess with God's people. Man, don't mess with God's people. If I can say that as many times as I can say it. Don't mess with God's people. Chapter 8 and 9, as this book ends and closes, Amos uh, talks about seeing summer fruit. In chapter 8, summer fruit is what the uh, farmers would see as the final harvest of the year. Meaning, after that summer fruit, uh, there is nothing more that the crops need to produce anything else. It's done. It's over. It's, it's the final, final harvest. Uh, in fact, what, what he means by that is, if there's anything left after the final summer fruit, then the sun will just dry it up. It's just not good. There's there's no more produce to happen. So all of the warnings have been put in place, all of the uh, prophecies, the mercies, all of the chasing to to pull Israel back. At this point in the prophetic word, it's all said and done. It's all over. Uh, He sees darkness in verse number 9. In chapter 9, verse number 1, he sees God standing, the Lord standing at the, beside the altar in Bethel, which is an altar that was set up uh, and falsely uh, corrected. You know, there's times in here where we see uh, Israel called out for worshiping a, a cow or whatever. Um, and Amos is like, I'm a, I'm a cattle herder. Why are we worshiping these things? Like, that, that's that kind of guy, Right. He sees now God standing, the Lord standing beside this altar that is a false altar. That eventually, the word Bethel, back, if you go all the way back to Genesis, Bethel meant the house of God. Abraham built an altar there, and that's where Abraham kept having to go back to to remember what God had spoken to him and how God had met with him, how God connected with him. And now here at Bethel, there is a, a, a false worship happening because this is the way the people of God have just drifted. And he says, God is not going to have it. It's not going to be okay. And then chapter 9, as he ends up, uh, he talks about how there is a better tomorrow. After the judgment is all over, there is a restoration. The kingdom of David will raise up again. And um, after it has fallen and after the the difficulty, uh, verse 14 says, I will restore, of chapter 9, towards the very end, I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel. And they shall rebuild the the, ruined, the, the uh, ruined cities and inhabit them, and shall plant vineyards and drink their wine, and shall make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant them on their land, and they shall never again be uprooted out of the land that I have given them, says the Lord your God, period. I, I will tell you this much. Um, if we are not careful, we will... Uh, misunderstand that if the law of God is broken there will be problems there will be much many issues um Amos does a really great job explaining to us uh that the law of God is was was meant to bring us to the heart of God and the the person of God and to keep right his ways um I hope that this simple farmer gave us something to think about today. Um, and even if it was just, and again, I'm about to preach on intercessory prayer, uh, even if it was just the power of a praying person uh, that, can, that can move the hand of God. I mean, I mean that is, that is some power. Now, God still is going to do what he's going to do. But to know that 50 years after a man interceded for a people... God says, I will answer that prayer because God is in the business of answering our prayers. I hope this simple farmer taught us some great wisdom for our lives today. Let's pray.